It is God's world. He made it. He owns it. He guides it. He directs it. He knows the beginning from the end. It is an amazing confidence that we have as those who have come to put our trust and hope in Christ. If you have a Bible, um, take it and turn in it to the very first book of the Bible, Genesis uh, chapter 1. It's easy to find. Uh, Just open it and look for where the Bible starts. And uh, as you're trying really hard to find it, just a couple, um, uh, one thing I want to draw to your attention. Uh, From time to time, as a body of Christ, we do experience some challenges that we have to uh, face and some needs that arise amongst us. And we've always found that when we present these needs, we have a generous and a willing response from the people of God here. As you well know, the cost of so much is increasing right now, and we're experiencing those costs on our own. And uh, certainly the the church is not unimpacted by these sorts of things. In particular, um, one of the areas that we are feeling this is with the upcoming um, women's retreat that is planned for two or three weeks from now. Uh, You might recall the last time we had a women's retreat was back in 2019, and we've been unable to have one since then. Uh, But the cost of holding this retreat have increased significantly and even, um, it seems at times, prohibitively. And uh, this retreat has always been a time of great spiritual growth, as you know, and of uh, spiritual formation, of relational uh, connection amongst many of the ladies in this church family. Uh, We met together because of this need. Uh, It was one of the items that came up in our deacons meeting this past week, and we wrestled with how we might be able to meet the challenge. And the challenge is this, that uh, we are short about $4,500 as we prepare for this retreat. It's a significant increase in our cost. And so we thought, well, how can we meet this need to help offset the cost of this increase? And uh, what we concluded was that we would give us as a congregation an opportunity to uh, give a love offering uh, to the ladies of our church uh, as they prepare to go on the retreat. The shortfall, as I said, is about $4,500. And so next week, what we want to do is just provide an offering, uh, a gift from us to the women of our church. Uh, non receivable but a gift that we will give to them. And we hope that it will cover the shortfall that uh, they're experiencing as they get ready for this retreat. Uh, if there's anything left over, and I anticipate that there likely will be something left over, you are a generous people. And when God lays these things on our hearts, we give generously. But if there's anything left over, it will go into the camp fund uh, for this summer for the kids that we send both from our church and this community uh, to various camps around this um, uh, island. So if you can pray about that, think about that, and if we're able to, to come next week to just give willingly from your heart to see if we can help uh, offset the increase of cost for our, for our uh, women here in the church. Genesis 1, 1 to 5. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the earth. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. We've been diving into this as a congregation for the last uh, two weeks. This is our third week in Genesis, and we are 
understanding that God's presentation to us of how the cosmos that we know and live in came to be is very different from the various cosmologies that are in the world around us. And uh, that makes sense from so many different points of view. But the biblical point of view is from the one who made it, from the one who created it, from the one who brought it into being. It is God's declaration to us of how we understand the physical world in which we live and what we understand as being around us. It's really when time, God's declaration or God's explanation is about how time entered into eternity, how there was nothing and then there was something, how this eternally existent God who was and is and is to come, who has always been, how he created this universe and this world in which we live. As I mentioned last week, the word created is a very unique word. It's a, the word bara in Hebrew, and it's found here in this chapter in verse 1. It's found in verse 21, where we are described the creation of life. And it's found in verse 27, where we are uh, told of the creation of humanity. It's been said of this particular verb that this verb, when it has a subject, it always refers to God. God is always the subject of this verb. And when it is a presumed subject, it is always God. It is used throughout the Old Testament of acts and events which either by their speciality or their novelty or both point to God as their originator. So only God creates. Creation is not simply a reformation of something. It's not simply taking something that already exists and forming it or making something out of that. It's about establishing the very principles by which something exists. It's about actually God's power to bring something into existence which was non-existent. And only God is able to create. I was working this through, even though this account of creation, when you would ask somebody, well, tell me about the creation of the world. Do you think they could do it in a chapter like Genesis? It's astounding when you understand the simplicity and let the complexity of the words which we have here describing the creation of everything. I was trying to understand in my own head, could I even begin to describe the completeness of the world in which we live more succinctly than what God has given us here in these first chapters of Genesis? There's a precision of words here which also points to the fact that the word of God is inspired and inerrant as well. There's a, that it comes to us from God through human vessels who, who, who God spoke to and they recorded God's words for us. You can look at a lot of commentators and they will point to you how the number seven is, uh, or sevens are so frequent in this first chapter. Seven being the number of perfection. And I'm not suggesting we should follow numerology or anything like that. I'm just su suggesting it's a one mark of the hand of God in the record that we have before us. For instance, the, the word for God, Elohim, is used 35 times. That is five times seven. The fact that we have the expression God made, it comes to us seven times, that there are seven blessings in this word, that there are phrases that are repeated seven times in this chapter. It all points to the, the hand of God in the precision and the order of which he's describing things of precision and order. The point being that we're not learning only of just communicating something that happened, but communicating something about the God who brought it into existence. 
And as we go through these uh, chapters, particularly chapter one and two, I, I, I want to remind you very carefully and very clearly, the focus is on God. God is the hero of chapter one and chapter two. That is the focus, not so much on the how, but on the who. And the cosmology that God has given us is one that directs our attention first to him before it directs our attention to how this universe and this world came into being. So we think about this notion when time emerged from eternity. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, the absolute beginning of everything, when time emerged from eternity, the first day of the beginning of everything is described here where God created the heavens and the earth. It's the beginning of, uh, of, of space, of time, of mass, of energy. And it's all created by the very command of God. God would begin this earth. God would create this earth. And then the universe around it and the sun and the stars and the moon, um, all of these have been created by God for us. And Genesis 1 describes that work. The plan of God in creation, the order is shown in the text as we will begin to unpack it. There's, there's brilliant order in God flinging this universe and this world into being. We'll, uh, bring, we'll talk about this a little bit later, but also in the weeks to come, how in the first three days, God forms this world. And in the next three days, God fills this world. And at the end of those days, Moses can speak of the fact that thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. In other words, it was a process. It was a process where God started with nothing and brought it to completion over the course of the six days as it's described here in the text. There is a progression from nothing to something, to all that was good, to that which was very good. And it's the same kind of thing that God is doing in the work, uh, the lives of those who put their trust in him. There's a progression in what God does in our lives. There's a work that God does in us to bring us from start to finish. And it's a wonderful progression and work of God. Uh, the, Paul writes to the Philippians, dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you. And now I'm away. It is even more important. Work hard to show the results of your salvation obeying God with deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. God is working in us a progression from start to finish. And who of us doesn't marvel? I do probably every week of Philippians chapter one, verse six. Do you know what? He who began a good work in you will be faithful to bring it to completion at the revelation of Christ. And I note that he who began a good work in you. Seven times in Genesis chapter one, God makes something and he says, and it was good. God saw that he had made what he had made and it was good. And I sort of have this image in my mind that as I progress in sanctification, as I progress in growth, as God continues to work his way in my life, there's points at which God looks at what he's done in my life and he says, that's good. And then you know, maybe when I was 21, he says, that's good. And then when I'm 35 and I've matured, that's good. And there's coming a day when God will look at his finished work in my life and he will say, that's very good. And so there's a progression 
in the work of God. And we see that along the way in chapter one here uh, of this description from God of how this cosmos came into being. The power of God's word to create everything from nothing is, is just beyond our ability even to comprehend. And then taking that initial, that initial matter and mass and substance and forming it into the things that we see around us, the land on which we walk, the animals on which we observe in his creation around us, that God first created this basic mass of elements that contained everything necessary to make a habitable earth and this universe in which we live. And then day by day, step by step, he formed that, he created that into this final product that we know as the earth and as the universe. What we get at the beginning of Genesis chapter one is not unlike a potter who, when he wants to fashion a beautiful uh, vessel from clay, he first takes a lump of clay and then he places that upon his wheel and he spins the wheel in order to mold it according to what he wishes. So God first prepared for himself the raw material that makes up this earth and this universe with a view to afterwards giving it order and life. This is what's being described in uh, these first few verses of the Bible. And again, as we've said over the last number of weeks, uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verse three, uh, remind us of that. By faith, we understand. Every cosmology requires faith, even the biblical cosmology. And so God tells us, by faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. This is part of our cosmology. This is part of how we understand there is something and not nothing. By faith, we understand that God, by his word, created it. In another place, Psalm 33, 6, it says, by the word of God, the heavens were made and by the breath of his mouth, all their hosts. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the depths in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the earth stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. Or Psalm 148. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his hosts. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you shining stars. Praise him, you highest heavens and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord for he commanded and they were created. And then he formed as Jeremiah 33, 2 says, thus says the Lord who made the earth, the Lord who formed it and established it. Psalm 95, five, the sea is his for he made it and his hands formed the dry land. Isaiah 45, 18, for this is what the Lord says. God is the creator of the heavens. He formed the earth and made it. He established it. He did not create it to be empty, but formed it to be inhabited. God created this world with a specific purpose in mind that it might be inhabited by those who are made in his very image. Nehemiah 9.6 says, you alone are Yahweh. You created the heavens, the highest heavens with all their hosts, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. You give life to all of them and the heavenly hosts 
worship you. Absolute beginning of everything is described in Genesis chapter one, verse one and following. It's fascinating to me how quickly we go to focus on the earth. We'll talk about this probably some more next week. I, I, I pointed to it last week, but the earth is God's focus. The earth is what draws our attention immediately. That's where God started. He didn't start with the universe and, and the, the stars and uh, the galaxies. He started with earth and from earth, everything else blew and expanded out. God created the raw elements from which he would form the heavens and the earth. And the first focus is here on the earth as he separates matter, as he differentiates matter, as he organizes it all. And verse two, what verse two explains is, is on this first day, what the earth was like in those first moments before God began the work of forming and filling it, and then the universe and to what would become this beautiful cosmos that we marvel at every time we look at a, under a microscope, every time we take a walk, every time we look at a new photo from a telescope that's out in space, we marvel at the glory of God that's displayed in what he has made. If you're following along in your Bible, take note of three phrases now in verse two. Three phrases that I, I think are, are, are crucial for our understanding. And we'll, we'll, we'll bring these phrases to bear in a New Testament context in a few moments. But the first phrase, the earth was without form and void. The second phrase, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the third phrase, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. That's a description of the very beginning of our earth. Two words are used in the first phrase without form and void tohu and bohu. Great name for twins. Until you know what they mean. <laughs> Toho means without form or void or desolate. Bohu means empty. And so there's this, this mass of substances that God had initially created from which he would form this world um, on that which, which we inhabit. And so it was, first of all, described as, as being this without form, formless and desolate. The second word means empty. In other words, initially in, that, in those first few moments of creation, this was a place of desolation, a, a place of uninhabited desolation, a place of darkness, a place of emptiness. And the only two times that those words are used together in the rest of the Old Testament, in Jeremiah 4.23 and Isaiah 34.11, are when total devastation is being described. Well, this is not devastation of judgment. This is just the emptiness of the beginning of all things. And secondly, then it says, and darkness was over the face of the deep. It's difficult for us to understand or even consider such a state in our thinking because we live in a world that is formed. We live in a world that is filled. We live in a world that has order. We live in a world that has structure. We can see the macro views of the world. We can see the micro views of the world. And it's almost impossible for us to go back to the time when the world was not that when it simply was this, this 
tohu and bohu, this, this devastation and this emptiness. But we're wrestling here with the beginning, with how out of nothing God created and then fashioned and formed. How it all began, how God created the heavens and the earth. And he says, and it was dark. There was a darkness that was over the face of the waters, a complete, universal, palatable darkness because God had not yet created light. But it wouldn't be in that state for long. So it would appear that what's described here for us is a state in which all the basic elements are sustained in this sort of pervasive, watery mix throughout, in which is darkness around it and in it. And that seems to be how Peter describes it. When Peter looks back on this and he's talking about those who have a different cosmology and how they look at the earth. And this is what Peter writes. He says uh, in 2 Peter chapter 3, 5, they deliberately overlook this fact. Those who have a different view of the world, those who have a different view of how the cosmos came into being, they deliberately overlook this fact that the heavens existed long ago and that the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. This is, a, this is a, the revelation of God through Peter about those first verses in Genesis chapter one. Was the earth spherical at this time? We don't know. One wrote the fact that this compass, and he's referring to Proverbs 8.27, had to be set on the face of the deep, shows that the face of the deep originally had no such phericity. In other words, it wasn't round yet. It was formless, exactly as intimated in Genesis 1 verse 2. Elements of matter and molecules of water were present, but not yet energized. The force of gravity was not yet functioning to draw such particles together in a coherent mass with definite form. We can't imagine what this world was like before gravity was created. Neither were there the electromagnetic forces in operation and everything was in darkness. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. And then this staggering statement and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Here's the spirit of God. We, we may come back to this down the road. But what is going on here? What, what is the Spirit doing? Well, we might get a hint of it from Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 11, where Moses describes an eagle that hovers over the nest of its young, fluttering its wings to protect them, to keep them safe. To, it's the word brooding over them. In another place, it describes a vibrating or a shaking that's in the bones of a prophet, an energy that's at work. So the Spirit of God is over this. Whatever shape it took, God was present at the very beginning. He was there before there was anything, and now he was there over everything as he first brings it into existence. This is a critical detail of the creation account. 
because it demonstrates vividly a biblical worldview about a God whose hand is directly over and around and under the world in which he has made, that his presence is ever here. It's, there's never a time when God isn't present. There's never a space where God is not. God is not remote. God is not distant. God is not separate from. God is not far and far away. God is here, present, around us, with us. There's not some vast gap between a living God and his creation. Paul describes this same reality in the created world as he's talking to the, the Greeks in, at Mars Hill. He's talking about the God who made everything, the God who made everyone from Adam, the God who has placed us in this world. Why? So that we might find him. And how do we find him? He says, because in him you live and move and have your being. The very presence of God here now in the world in which we live and there at the very beginning when nothing was formed or filled yet. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God said, these are the very first recorded words of God for us in all of scripture. Let there be light. The power of the word is beyond anything that, that, I, that I can wrap my head around. But there is something about the power of the word of God which is explosive and creative. I was thinking of this in the story of the centurion who had a... Uh, someone that was ill in his home and he went to find Jesus and he finally found Jesus and he, uh, Jesus said, well, okay, I'll come to your home and I'll deal with it. And he said, no, no, you don't need to come to my house because I know the power of authority and I have servants and I have those that if I say, do this, they do that. If I say, go there, they go there. They just obey my word. I have authority over them. He said, you just speak the word and my servant will be made well. And Jesus spoke the word and he went home and his servant was made well. I was thinking also of the story of Lazarus. One of Jesus' good friends died. And Jesus didn't rush to the scene. He waited four days. And then he went to visit the family and uh, he was talking with Martha and with Mary. And then he went out to the tomb and he saw the, the grief that was there. And it says, Jesus himself wept. And then he said to those there, he says, roll away the stone. They say, Lord, he's been dead for four days. He stinks. But they rolled away the stone. And then what did Jesus do? Lazarus, come out. And out walked Lazarus, covered in the grave clothes. I've thought often of that. And I have no way of proving this. But why did Jesus use the name Lazarus? I think it's because if he didn't, every person in tombs that could hear his voice would have rose because of the power of his word. There is incredible power in the word of God. Nowhere is the personhood of God clearer either than in the fact that he is a speaking God. 
This is a beautiful reminder to us again and again in, in verse 3, 6, 9, 11, 14, 20, 24, 26, 29. One of the first things we learn about God is that he speaks. The Bible wants us to know that. The expression, the word of God, is found no fewer than 258 times in Scripture. This is a truth about God that is foundational enough to be expressed or, or to be uh, referred to, stressed again and again in the very first introduction here in Genesis 1. And it's a truth that should make us prick up our ears, so to speak, for God is personal and he speaks. This opens up a possibility of a relationship with him. He's not mute. He's not stuck on a wall. He's, he's not a figment of our imagination. He is a speaking God, and therefore we can have a relationship with him. We find the personality of God re revealed in other ways. Not only does he speak, calling things into being, but he sees. He, he looks at what he has made, and he declares it good. He acts. He, he makes things. He gives names to things, calling them light and darkness, sea and sky and earth. He blesses things, the animals and the people that he makes. He takes pleasure in what he has made, seeing all that he has made, and he says it's good. These are the things that a person does. Not just a force, a person. This is why Christians, those who know God personally, can say he's my father. He's a personal God to me. I have a personal relationship with him is because he speaks and I can speak to him. His very first words are, let there be light. Of all the words that you think God could have said, the first recorded words, let there be light. For all our scientific progress, we still don't understand light much less are we able to explain how it came to be. Let there be light. And there was light. The Bible doesn't describe for us the form that this initial light took. We are simply not told the source of the light. Actual lights, such as the sun and the star and the moon, or stars and the moons, were not created until the fourth day. They would be permanent light bearers. What we are told is light itself, or the very reality of light, came into existence on that first day when God spoke it into existence. And with the creation of light, God inaugurated the measurement of Earth's time periods of light and darkness, the rhythm of days and night. You know, you don't need sun to have a day. All you need is to have the Earth rotating on its axis. The nature of this created life is light is not described. We are simply told that light came into existence because God told it to exist. It's fascinating. I, I, I just did a, a lot of reading on light. I, 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 also, I don't know. I just used to think light was you flick a switch and there's light. Or you go outside and the sun's shining and it's light. Do you know that there's nothing known in this universe that travels faster than light? 186, 282 miles a second. Staggering. Just that fact alone. 
Does light exist as a particle or a wave or both? It's a form of energy, electromagnetic radiation. When you go to get an x-ray, it's light. When you turn on your radio, the radio waves are light. Microwaves, infrared waves, light. It's staggering. What came into existence by a simple word of God. Let there be light. We shouldn't be troubled by a source of light other than the sun or the moon or the stars. For in the new heavens and the new earth, when this world is destroyed and God creates a new heavens and the earth, it says, night will be no more and there will be no need or there will, there will need no, they will need no light or lamp of the sun. For the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. Revelation 21.23 says, The city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. Light can exist without the sun and the moon and the stars. The Bible tells us that God himself is light. That God dwells in unapproachable light. That God is light and in him there is no darkness. That God wears light as a garment. There is a light that exists. There is a light that has been created that is other than the sun and the moon and the stars that we know. So the very first thing that God created, formed out of the mass that he had created, the earth, was light. And God saw that it was good. Here's the first of seven benedictions in chapter one. In other words, there was nothing out of place with the light that he had made. Nothing that didn't conform to the word that he had spoken in the creation of light. In this light, we see something of the goodness of God in creation. Ask yourself, how does light reveal to you the goodness of God? What about when you go to get an x-ray? What about when you walk out into the day and you can see where you're going? What about when you use your microwave? The goodness of God in the creation of light profoundly affects almost every area of our life. Do you see the goodness of God in the creation of light? And it says, and God separated the light from darkness. There's three separations, gatherings, that we'll see in the first three days. The intention of creating light was to bring separation so that there was light and there was darkness. The it was central to those first three days where God gave what was without form, form. And then what God formed, he will fill. And so the first three days of creation are about God forming three things. And the next three days of creation are about God filling those things that he has formed. The speaking into existence of created light is the first of a series of separations accomplished by the creator, which were essential to make chaos into cosmos. 
On day one, light separated day and night. On day two, the firmament speaks, uh, separates the upper waters and the earth constituting an atmosphere or a breathing space. On day three, the waters below and the, the heavens are collected into seas and thus separated from the dry land. These three separations show the mighty hand of God shaping and organizing the dark, watery mass in the direction of a beautiful garden, a fit and lovely dwelling place for animals and humankind. The creation of this world didn't just happen. It had order. It had complexity. It had purpose. It had direction. And then God called the light day and in darkness he called night. This is the power and the authority of God to name what he has made. It's his so he can name it. He understands it and so he can give it a name that's appropriate for what he has made. And there was evening and there was morning, the first day. It's a chronological reality. Time is a servant, not a master. And God chose to organize all that he created out of nothing into a habitable universe in the space of six days rather than in a nanosecond of time or in a hundred billion years. God could have done it any number of ways. Some of the old early Christian thinkers were shocked that, that God didn't just do it in a nanosecond. Just poof, and it was all here. He could have. But there was an order. Day two preceded day one. There was a first day. There would be a succession of days, one after another, bringing a sense of anticipation. These days were delineated by references to evening and morning by a numerical sequence. Day one, day two, day three, day four, day five, day six, day seven. With each progressive day, there was less formlessness and the void was filled. Bring this to bear now. One of the things I hope that we can do as we work through Genesis 1 is to realize that you can't separate Genesis 1 and 2 from the rest of the Bible. This is all part of God's coherent revelation to us. Do you know that the commanding of light in Genesis 1 verse 3 points to an even greater commanding of light? They're connected. Genesis 1 3 is an illustration of a spiritual reality which is a way of saying that there is a spirituality that, that is equal to, if not greater, than the creation of light at the very beginning of time. Think about that for a moment. Think about, if you do, if you think about light and the awe and the wonder behind a God who could speak all of the elements of light, all that we know about light, and then all that we don't know of light, he could speak that into existence and the, the wonder and the awe of that. And think about the wonder and the awe of a God who can speak light into a darkened life. Could it be that God can speak into the darkness and the chaos of a human light? life and give it form and fill it with beauty and purpose and meaning? The Apostle Paul thought so. 
The Apostle Paul must have been working through this one day as he was amazed at the, the, the transformation in the lives of the, Christ, uh, the Corinthian believers as they were coming to the Lord, as they were being pulled out of idolatry, pulled out of darkness, pulled out of, pulled out of sexual immorality, pulled out of chaos, pulled out of meaningless. And he must have been reflecting on that. And as God uh, worked in his mind and he's reflecting on it, this was what Paul said. For God who said... Let light shine out of darkness has shone in our hearts to give light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Do you understand what Paul is saying there? If you are a Christian, you have had a work take place in you which is analogous to the very beginning when God said, let there be light over a earth that was without form and void, covered in darkness. Just as God spoke light there and did a miracle beyond miracles, when God spoke into your life, the light of Christ, there was a work of new creation that took place in you. I'm a new creation. Old things have passed away, all things are new. But just as God was hovering over that initial mass, as I mentioned from Acts chapter 7, God is, in him we live and move and have our being. God was hovering around us and one day, through his grace and his mercy and by his power, he revealed the glory of Christ to you. Loved ones, never take that for granted. Never think, oh, it's a wonderful thing that I did. No, look to the God who did something immeasurable, miraculous in bringing light, the light of Christ into your life. For you who don't know God, people search all the time. Sometimes people say, well, my life is just a disaster. It's a mess. There's so much chaos in it. There's so much darkness in it. If, if you knew how dark my life was in it, nothing could bring light to the darkness of my life. If you knew how empty I feel, if you knew the chaos that I have, if you knew the randomness of my life, could anyone bring order to that? And God says, yes. I did it when I made this earth. It was without form and it was void and it was dark and I spoke light into it. And I can speak the light of life into your life if you will but look to me and trust me. And God will do this work inside of you, which is akin to the power of his word that spoke light into existence. He can bring a genesis to your life, so to speak. Marvel. At him. This is why Psalm 48 says, Praise the Lord, you heavens. Praise the Lord, you angels. Praise the Lord, sun and moon. Praise the Lord, you who have breath. Because of the mighty word of God that speaks life and light. Father, we thank you for your word. I thank you for the way that you describe the beginning of this world is insight into how you bring a beginning into our lives. Father, I know that we wrestle with your description of how you created the heavens and the earth and 
how you brought form and filling to what you have made. We know how different your view of the creation of this world is from all the other cosmologies in this world. We understand that to believe what you did takes faith, just as it takes faith to believe what other people say about the beginnings of this world and universe. But you have the upper hand on them all, Father, because you were there. You witnessed your work of creation. You're telling us about your power and your might. The miraculous way of your word. Father, help us to understand that your explanation of that is in order to also help us understand how you bring life to our craziness, how you bring light to the darkness we find ourselves in. Father, may the truth of your word impact us today. May it fill the hearts of those who know you with thankfulness and rejoicing. And may it give hope to those who are searching that they might find the light of Christ. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.